Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. Welcome to the Porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics. We come together as a community, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, you're part of the family, and we look at how the Book of Acts Church took that concept to serve the Lord. We delve deeper into Scripture. We find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man-made tradition created. The porch was inspired and originally created to restore the priesthood of the believer and the world-shaking influence that the early church had. We need that now more than ever, because we believe the church age is still in effect, the day of Pentecost is ongoing, the fire still falls. The porch is an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc., a Florida non-for-profit since January of 2000 on solomonsporch.org is its main site. If you have any questions, you can visit there and use the contact button, or you can go to firefalltalkradio.com, contact us that way, and you could also support us from there. Thank you to each and every one of you who do. Give us the Lord leads. If you'd like to uh, participate, go to the bottom of the main page on firefalltalkradio.com. Make sure you subscribe to us on the Spreaker site, the main site. You'll know if we're broadcasting a session of the porch or Overwatch, which has been on for the last couple of Sundays. So be be a subscriber and be alerted when a new podcast has been uploaded. Welcome to all our listeners from the various streaming formats. We appreciate you. We got to send out prayers for Nashville. A tornado tore through Nashville and parts of Tennessee early Tuesday morning. So far, there are 24 people dead many of them children, many injured, um, some still missing, and they don't know if they're trapped under debris or just because of the lack of power have not been able to check in. As the number goes up, we'll know what happened. And thousands are without power. Over 45 buildings destroyed, some of them iconic downtown Nashville buildings. The tornado hit East Nashville, Cooksville, Donaldson, and Mount Juliet, um, all hit by a uh, F3 tornado. They don't know if it was the same tornado or different tornadoes. Some people described it as being on the ground for about an hour. The storm occurred while people were sleeping. Quote, we woke up to the sound of a freight train. The scope of the devastation became apparent only after the sunrise, after daybreak, and that's when they began to search for survivors. I believe that this tornado through Nashville, which is not uncommon, it's happened before, but, you know, Nashville, beside being the home of country music, is also the home of Christian music. I believe there's a message in this tornado that cannot be overlooked. Um, I may share that in the days ahead, but we've got to pay attention to when the Lord speaks and he uses natural occurrences to do so. So we start out with praise and prayer. You're under no obligation to send them in. If you have something you want to praise the Lord about, do so. If you need a prayer, do so. I do not start any preaching or teaching or any ministry without first praising the Lord, coming into his presence with praise, and then offering up prayer. That's just how we've done it on the porch since we had the home church all the way back 1993. So I praise him for my home, my wife, my family, two sons, two daughter-in-laws, one grandson, um, 
couple of furry kids, and everything that he has given us. I praise him for his protection over us, for the ministry that he allows me to work for him, for the dreams and the visions and the revelation that he brings. I praise him for his healing virtues, which I count on, and I know you do too. I know they're still available. I believe in them, and I pray that we would receive them in accordance with his will. I praise him that I can praise him. Whether I'm working out at the gym or um, doing the workout I do out on the pool deck, I I will sing along and make a joyful noise and, and praise him. I'll raise my hands and praise. I don't care. I'm going to praise him. I praise him for his favor. And everything that he shares with me, sometimes I'm overwhelmed by his consideration of me. I praise him for being a new creation. Without that, back in October of 1988, I'm not here. I don't have any of the things I just thanked him for. And being a new creation while living in these prophetic times is is a blessing. It can also be a struggle, but it's definitely a blessing. I praise him for America. Do we have problems? Oh, boy, do we have problems. But the fact is, we're allowed to praise him. As of right now, nobody's going to stop us. Now, there may be certain places where they try to interfere with it. But the fact is, we can praise him and worship him freely. So I'm going to do so. I'm going to pray over my food, whether by myself or with my wife or with my family or with a friend. I'm going to do that in public. I don't care what people think. I praise him for the signs that he's getting ready to return. I sincerely believe that everything points in that direction. Everything points to the sky. So let's get ready. To do that, we have to pray, and we pray for the Middle East. We pray for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. They just had their election, and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was elected overwhelmingly. I just sincerely pray that he's able to form a coalition government. We can move on from the confusion and the nonsense that Israel has seen for the last year. But we're told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you, Psalm 122, verse 6. Each and every day, and right now I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice. If you would target them in prayer first thing every morning, the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice, you'll you'll feel it. You'll get the sense of him in it. I, I pray for and I pray against the slaughter of the innocents. I am astounded at man's inhumanity and the barbaric nature of this society. I pray for and I pray against uh, the aspect of missing and exploited children. It seems like with digital media that has exploded the ability to be debased and perverse and to do the things that they do, I'm, I'm disgusted by it. I pray for the victims of sex trafficking, that they would be healed and delivered and be rescued. For our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted, For their faith, no matter how bad you think you have it, somebody's got it worse. I pray against religious persecution, anti-Semitism, and all the things going on around the world that indicate to me the spirit of the Antichrist is growing bolder as he gets ready for his personal unveiling. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing that each and every one of us get back to our divine design. That should be your prayer, no matter what's going on in your body, no matter what's going on in your life, to approach the Father and remind Him. Pray for your body to go back to its divine design. Your body and your cells are programmed. If you've listened, especially to the last Sea Conference teaching, I laid that out for you. Start speaking it. Speak to things not as they are, but as they should be in accordance with His Word. I pray for continued healing in my wife Deb's shoulder as as he heals it and knits it back together. Miraculously, you know, he could put in a whole new, brand new shoulder, wake up the next morning, and it's all the pain and all the, the things that constrict are gone. We have to pray and believe. I pray for all that are sick right now. There's a lot of sickness in the world, the coronavirus and whatever else is going on out there. 
pestilence and illness and sickness is a tool of the enemy, and we must pray. We must use that Psalm 91 uh, covering. We must activate the word. That means we pray for protection. We understand we live in a fallen world. We understand that there's an enemy out there looking to destroy us. And we've been given weapons of warfare to deal with that. We've been given the ability of Scripture and the sword of the Spirit and the power of the Word. I pray for inspiration. We need to get inspired. We need to get that fire inside of us to rise up and go outward. The same Spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead is inside of you. And I'm praying for the remnant, those that are called to these times, to wake up, to rise up, to answer this call to action, to answer the sound of the shofar, to respond to the war cry. And that those that have been blessed to be a blessing, you know somebody that's been blessed, then you need to tell them about the porch. You need to tell them about SRT. You need to tell them about Firefall and what we're trying to do and that if they've got the ability to help us out. We need to start getting bolder. The Lord's been speaking to Larry and I as we pray about that each and every day. And we pray for the blessing, but how can they give us the blessing if they don't know who we are? I'm working on that. I'm praying about what to do. I don't want to get into the promotion that most people do. I want to make sure it's led by the Spirit of the Spirit because I want Him to be glorified. But we need we need it. We need the funds. We need the provision. We need to get this documentary done. We need to get out there and spread the word. We need to set the captives free. We need to start fires of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go. We need little cells of the porch everywhere as as he would allow. So that means open the conduits of your blessings, Lord. Fund the dreams. Fund the visions. Fund the mission. Make us highly mobile to set the captives free. Continue to pray with us and agree with us for divine favor. There are legal matters hanging over every member of this family, three different things, uh, three different types of things, and the enemy uses the world system to delay and to deny. But right now we appeal to the Father in Jesus' name for what is ours to be given to us, for what the enemy has stolen to be returned sevenfold for his glory. And, of course, we pray for our lost family members. That is the most important thing that I can think of each and every day. I name them by name, close friends, uh, family members, people that come to mind. I intercede for them. I even intercede for people that I don't know as the Spirit guides me. So, Father, we just come to you right now. As your children, we boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, we love you. We need you. We need to hide in the shadow of your wings. We need to huddle close to you. We need to feel the closeness, smell the incense of the of the throne room on your on your robe. We live in a fallen world, and this is not our home. And until you come back, Lord, we need to tarry, and we need your help to do that. But we love you. We love you for what you've done for us. If you never did anything more, you've done it all. But we need more. We need help. We need uh, provision. We need protection. We need healing and restoration. Some need relief. Just relief from the warfare and from the burdens. And we need release of of the blessings to flow. We don't want to be bound to the world system anymore. We want to be the head, not the tail above and not beneath, the lender and not the borrower, totally out of control, out of the control of the, of the world system, out of the control of Egypt, no longer manipulated by those things. Forgive us for allowing it to happen. Help us. Help us to shine the light and the glory of the Holy Spirit into the world. Holy Spirit, we need your help. You're inside of us. We know that. So we call out to you, we submit to you, we say, have your way with us. Have your way with us tonight. Let this word go forth in power. Let this word go forth in love. Let this word go forth in the fire of the Holy Spirit coming from the throne room itself. Protect us, protect the technology, and have your way. Do as you will. In Jesus' name, Yeshua's name, amen.
lessons are proprietary information except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about the remnant. We're talking about what is required to be remnant ready. Well, to be remnant ready, you need to understand that this is personal. It's personal for you, and it's personal for him. His interaction with people was always personal and intimate. Yes, he spoke to the crowd when when so many people came to him that that required him to go up on the hilltop or somewhere that his voice would carry out to them and they could sit and listen. But it was still personal. He was talking to each and every one of them. The religion is cold. It's external. Relationship is warm and internal. So go with me to Mark 16, starting with verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day, and of course he is Yeshua, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them, and these, of course, are those on the road to Emmaus, as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, as he appeared to the eleven, as he sat at the table and rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and we know at that moment it was the beginning of the process to send back the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, and they went out and preached everywhere. Taking that great commission, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. It's unbelief and hardness of heart that doesn't allow for a belief in the resurrected Messiah. A heart hardened by sin and selfishness doesn't allow you to have the faith to believe. I find that people that do not have the faith to believe are too caught up in the world, too caught up in their own personal sins, and unwilling to let them go. But there were early resurrection appearances mentioned many times in Matthew and Mark and John. The women that met the resurrected Lord outside the tomb near Jerusalem and again were instructed to go tell the disciples to go to Galilee. In the story I just read, Yeshua appeared to one woman, Mary Magdalene, specifically noted by John and Mark, overcome by grief and with tear-dimmed eyes. Mary did not recognize the Lord. Well, she also didn't recognize him because he had not been glorified yet. Matthew is the only evangelist to report um, the Jewish response, the response of the leadership to cover up the resurrection. As we talked about last week, Matthew's gospel is intended for Jewish readers. And so he explains to them the response of Jews to the gospel. If you look at Matthew twenty-eight, eleven through 15, basically the soldiers were bribed. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. That's the angel, the stone rolling away, the Lord not being there. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. 
and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and, saying, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Well, there was a problem with this con game that they pulled off. Though the Pharisees had paid off the soldiers, Pontius Pilate had put his seal on the tomb. And for that seal to be broken and the order to be violated, somebody had to pay for it. So more than likely, those soldiers never got to spend that money. Mark 16, 9 through 11, when Mary Magdalene sees the Lord. Now, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary, as I read, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned, and as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive, and that she had seen him, they did not believe. Maybe it was because she saw them. Maybe it was because she saw him first and not them. I, I don't know. But what I do know is, after everything he had said and done for three years, they were not prepared for the resurrection. How many of you are prepared for the miracles that you pray for? Sometimes when Larry and I pray, the Lord, the Lord engages us. And a couple of times he's even asked us, are you ready for what you asked for? And so, of course, that becomes a process of praying through. And, and are you ready? Are you ready for the outcome of the prayer? Are you ready for the, the manifestation to happen? Your life is going to be changed. When what you pray for comes into your possession, your life is going to be changed. You may have people rejoice, and you may have more people become jealous. Consider the cost when you pray. Then you see in John chapter 20, verses 14 through 18, when she, being Mary again, says, you know, where have you laid him? Speaking to the uh, angel, where have you laid him? And she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Yeshua. She said, and he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener or caretaker, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell us where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Yeshua said to her, Mary. And and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And she must have reached out to grab him. And he said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. As a scene just came into my head from a Jesus of Nazareth that was on TV back in the 70s, and Anne Bancroft played Mary Magdalene. And when she went and told them, and they, they rejected her and mocked her, the, the um, outrage, the hurt, when she said, why do you... Don't you think he would show himself to me? Don't ever feel like he won't show himself to you. Don't feel like you're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. This is personal to him. You're personal to him. And then we see in John chapter 20, picking up with verse 19. After all this has happened, after all the rejecting of the stories... Then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, which meant it was probably locked, Yeshua came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands, which would be the wrist just below the palm, where the nail had gone through into that junction so that his, it would hold him to the wood, and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw him. And Yeshua said to them, Again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you receive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Yeshua came. 
And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Yeshua came, and the door being shut and stood in the midst of them, said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. And Yeshua said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. See, closed doors were not a barrier to the Lord. He didn't have to be there to know what Thomas was thinking. And neither was a lack of belief a barrier to him as well. He made himself personally known to Thomas, and he can make himself personally known to you or anybody else if need be. There's nothing to stop him from doing that. We're hearing stories about him appearing to people all over the world, especially in the Middle East, and then becoming believers in him. You see, the appearance of the risen Messiah dispelled their fears. They were convinced he was the same Yeshua who had been crucified days earlier due to the scars in his hands and, and the side. And when he said to Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That included all those that would come to believe in Messiah since his ascension to the Father to now. I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't tell you why. I just automatically believed. I was raised that way, of course. And I'd had a personal uh, interaction with him before I was born again at a Baptist ranch camp of all places where a New York Italian Catholic was uh, spending the summer. I always believed that he was alive. I always believed that he was the Son of God. I was just not born again. I did not belong to him, though he pursued me and though he protected me and though he had a plan for me. It took me choosing, making a personal decision to fulfill the relationship. The commissioning of the disciples we see in this to the mission of the Messiah, making them the ones that he sent out. That's what apostle means, sent forth ones. I love these people that wear the name tags, apostle this and apostle that, and they never go anywhere but to the cushy seat in the pew or the stage. Just because people wear titles doesn't mean they are who they say they are, and it's time for the church to wake up and start seeing that. It's time for the church to stop listening to the people that call themselves prophets that have no ability to prophesy at all. They do not speak for the Lord. They have their own personal opinions. And, oh boy, what if we had the Old Testament rule if a prophet prophesies and the prophecy doesn't come true, take them out and stone them? That would cut things down dramatically. But the empowerment of the mission that he was sending them on comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, which on the day of Pentecost was poured out upon all believers, which is an indication to me they are participating in this mission, the Great Commission. And the disciples were empowered and ordered, if you will, to preach both the way of salvation and the way of damnation. You can't have one without the other. You can't explain one path without warning about the other path. We need to explain how sinners can be forgiven and what the danger is of rejecting the gospel. If there is no price for your actions, if there is no price for making the wrong decision, then you've not made a quality decision. And whether or not somebody sins who has heard the gospel, are forgiven, depends upon whether they accept or reject 
the Messiah's invitation. 1 Peter 1, verses 6-9, In this you greatly rejoice, that now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The prospect of salvation, the prospect of salvation at the second coming of Messiah. We've been saved by faith, we've been saved and born again, but then snatched out of this world and protected forever. should inspire great joy in the midst of all the suffering. Hey, let's face it, fallen world, not fun. This was not the vacation that was promoted in the commercial. That genuineness of your faith is the purity of gold that is brought forth by intense heat. So the reality and the purity of our faith is revealed as a result of the fiery trials we face. Oh, they're not easy. They're not fun. They're called fiery for a reason. But the fact is, you're transformed from glory to glory. That gold gets brighter, that gets purer, and you get purer. Ultimately, the testing of our faith not only demonstrates the final salvation we hope for, the blessed hope, but it also develops our capacity to bring glory to the Lord when he comes into his kingdom and we reign with him. Romans 8, 17, if if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. 2 Timothy 2, 12, if we endure, We shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. See, it's always been personal. He takes it personally when he's been rejected. He's made it personal for us, even in the oversight of the kingdom. We were never meant to go it alone or without his influence. I mentioned the scripture last week, and I may I may go deeper into it in the weeks ahead. I'm not sure, just kind of flashed through my spirit today. John fifteen five. I am the van, the vine; you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The amplified is: I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever lives in me, and that word "abide" means takes permanent residence. Means you're living there; you're not moving. And I in him bears much abundant fruit. However, apart from me, cut off from the vital union with me, you can do nothing. If you go to the store and you buy grapes, and on that cluster there are a lot of grapes, and you eat the grapes. No, the grapes grow back on that cluster, do they? Why? Because it's been separated from the vine from which the fruit came. See, he's the true true vine. He's the original vine. Any other vine are copies. As believers in Messiah, we don't live on substitutes. And the problem I see in the church, or what we call the church, I'm doing the finger thing, the church is that many people are attached to the wrong vines. They're attached to man-made vines. They're attached to fake vines. They're not attached to the vine, and that's why they have no fruit. In fact, the fake vines produce those fake plastic waxy grapes that I used to see when growing up. I don't know if they do that anymore, but I used to go into people's homes, and they'd be in bowls or in displays everywhere, and they would just, you know fake, plastic, waxy, phony things. Well, there's a lot of people out there that are like that. And the symbolism of the vine and the branches is to the same as thing of the head of the body. 
We are in a living relationship with Messiah when we belong to him. It's personal between you and him. Without him, we can't believe. Without him, we can't have faith. And the Holy Spirit is the agent of that faith. He is the sap in the vine that flows through to us so that we can bear fruit. And the more sap in the vine, the sweeter and bigger the fruit is. And he empowers our belief. The fruit that that heavenly wine presser looks for in his people is to be like his son, to be like Messiah. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work in which his presence within us accomplishes is love, joy, which is gladness, <clears throat> excuse me, peace, patience, uh, and even temper and forbearance, difficult one, kindness, goodness, which is benevolence, Faithfulness means you're full of faith. Gentleness, meekness, humility, self-control, which is self-restraint. Against such things, there is no law that can bring a charge. But you know what? It takes light for fruit to grow. It takes sunlight for fruit to grow. Fruit doesn't grow in darkness. It doesn't grow well in shadows. It needs the full light of the sun. Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Interesting thing about fruit. For a vine to be productive, the branch... It's got to be pruned. It's got to take the benefit of the discipline of the Father to maintain an abiding union with the vine. Same thing with candles that bring light. The wick has to be trimmed and ready to burn properly. Remember I described to you that if you don't cut the wick and you burn it long as it is, it creates this weird distorted flame and creates a strange fire. Hebrews 12.10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us only for a short period of time and chastised us as seemed proper and good to them. But he disciplines us for for a certain good that we may become sharers in his own holiness. See, it's personal. He's grooming you. He's trimming you. He's molding you. He's doing what he's doing for you, but to glorify him. With every trial, he's fashioning us into holy people, set apart for his purposes, so that the peaceable fruit of righteousness is the end result of his chastening. The righteousness of God, which comes by believing with personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus the Messiah, and it is meant for all who believe, for there is no distinction, Romans 3.22. It's for all who believe, and there is no distinction. It's without distinction. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have a position. You don't have to have an education. You don't have to have scripture memorized. You come to him as you are. He'll, he'll help you in the process of change. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So he personally revealed to us how we should live. But no one can live up to his perfect way without his help. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. All have sinned. We all fall, fall short of his glory. We can't save ourselves as sinners We can't meet his requirements, and our only hope first is faith in Yeshua as Messiah, and then in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is what? It's personal. It's internal. You don't walk by somebody else's anointing. Too many people try to do that. I was talking to somebody today about words of prophecy, and yes, I've had people speak prophecy over me that has confirmed what the Lord has already told me. But you know whose prophecy I rely on? 
the Lord's. I don't rely on people. I don't listen to people. I listen to Shelley. If I have to run something by a human, I take it to my mentor, to the person who I consider my oversight and the one who helped birth me into the kingdom. But the fact is, he will reveal to you the truth. He will confirm it through two or three witnesses, and then he will work with you to get it done. See, it's personal. I hate generic words of prophecy, dislike, not hate. Uh, Maybe I hate. I don't know. Oh, listen to this prophecy. And it's a generic prophecy that could fit to anybody, anywhere, at any time, in any decade, in any, and I'm thinking, okay, this is nice, but this doesn't apply to me. When he speaks to me, he's specific. It's personal. And I thought about this today as I was working on this. The sin and bondage we came out of was to the world. It was to darkness. Satan doesn't want a personal relationship with you. To anybody who's ever been in that world, it's a facade. He he does not like you, does not love you. He wants to use you. The demons want to use you. They, they, there's nothing personal about it except in your personal destruction. Freedom through the cross and reconciliation to the Father, it's personal. It was personal to him. Go with me and let's see how much we can get done of Matthew 22, 1-14, the parable of the wedding feast. And Yeshua answered, spoke to them by parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call all those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. And when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And and he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him out and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. Now, there's a similar parable in Luke 14, but it's different. It differs in its occasion and its details. So the kingdom of heaven, we know, refers to the church, the kingdom age, what the Lord brought on earth. And it shows us within this parable that there are certain principles or truths that relate to the kingdom of God. And the marriage we know is the marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast. The king is the father, the Lord is the son. That should be obvious. If you don't have that, you're going to have to stay after school and we're going to have to work on it. The marriage has to be taken in the full aspect of the final salvation union with Messiah, the inauguration of the millennial age. Let's face it, he's starting the millennial age with a party. A banquet from him. And this isn't just any, you know, golden corral banquet. This isn't being catered by Chick-fil-A. I mean, this is the banquet of all banquets. And the rejection to the invitation is insulting, and it's, it's disloyal to the king. And he takes it personally. It's discourteous to his son, which he really takes personally. 
I mean, how do you feel if somebody insults a family member? How do you feel if some stranger who has no bond of blood says ugly things about you or about your children to you? I don't know about you, but I I grew up on the streets of New York where um, that was not done without a bad response happening. Well, the father's no different. And mistreating his servants, which came in his name to invite them to a party that was just for them, and it's possible that the burning up of the city was about the coming destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., or it was about the final fire. I don't know. But what I do know is king's not happy. In that verse 6, when it says they seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them, well, he sent out the prophets. They killed them. Sent out John the Baptist. They killed him. Sent out his son, his only begotten son, Yeshua. Killed him. The disciples killed him, all except one. And his church, still killing him. World hasn't learned. Stop killing the king's people. But this has always been there in Scripture. And as I... As you know, I give a lot of scripture and I piece it all together. I, I weave it together like a tapestry. And it's so amazing to me, A, that scripture can do that. Scripture confirms itself. If a scripture is not confirmed by another scripture, and there are some that are never repeated again and have no reference in the New Testament, but the word confirms itself, which is why I will always do it the way that I do it. If you look at Matthew twenty three thirty seven, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, and this is when he's making the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, as we call it, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under his wings, but you were not willing. It was a foreshadowing. They were going to reject him. They're going to reject him again. And when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, saying the same name twice, indicates very strong emotion. I wanted and you were not willing of phrases that illustrate Israel's opposition to the Messiah and the foreshadowing of the marriage supper. Two invitations sent out, first sent out long before the celebration, so that the people would have plenty of times to prepare themselves for the banquet. And those who had initially been invited had received the original announcement. Then a second invitation is sent out to announce them, hey, banquet's ready. You should come right away. Yeah, nah, busy. Got things to do. Oh, I got, I got to plow my field. I just started a new business. Not, not, not a good response. But those invited guests of the people of Israel, they were given first invitation to Messiah. So he tells them, go out into the highways and invite whoever you will. Those are the Gentiles. Those are the non-Jewish people. Both good and bad. Moral and immoral, they all needed his gracious invitation. Both good and bad also refers to both Jews and Gentiles. And both groups include some who are morally evil and others who are morally good. But if you're not born again, that's the only way to get in. And it's always been a message to Jew and Gentile. Sometimes I say Greek. Acts twenty six twenty three. this is Paul said, The Messiah would suffer and that he would be first to rise from the dead and he would proclaim the light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Romans one sixteen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, which is why it makes sense that both Jew and Gentile killed him. But whatever their condition, good, bad, rich, poor, they need to respond to the invitation. 
They need to RSVP, and then they need to show up. And they'd been given a special invitation from the king. And they they just made light of it. They didn't care about it. They were so preoccupied with the here and now with the world that they had no concern for his kingdom, one that they could not see, and some weren't even sure they believed in. Nothing has changed. And we see it in the indifferent response to the Lord's mission. He fulfilled the signs of the Messiah. The miracles he did were the signs of the Messiah. There was no reason outside of religion, um, personal gain, and him messing up their system for them to reject him because the signs were all there. They hadn't had a prophet in 400 years, and they haven't had one since. Nope. We're not coming. <coughs> Excuse me. We're not going to believe. Sorry. You know, you're not how we expected. Yeah, no, no, no. Not going to do it. John the Baptist cut his head off. Crucified the Lord. Persecuted his church. Nothing's changed. And we know the enemy's behind it. We know he's part of the problem. He is the problem. Now, this guy that does show up, now you got to give him credit, he shows up. I'm not sure he was supposed to be there because he does not have on a wedding garment. And when they invited you to these kind of wedding feasts, they also gave you a garment to wear. But he wasn't prepared. Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness might not be may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve and you may see the wedding garment everyone was given one but he doesn't have one he doesn't have this white linen outfit he disregarded the rules he disregarded the 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 king's provision this robe of righteousness that we receive from the Lord in order to attend this marriage supper cannot be ignored. And what happened? He got cast out into the outer darkness, which symbolizes the eternal judgment of the lost. They are waiting right now in the outer darkness. And when the final judgment comes, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. But for now, they're out there. They're in a place of desolation. They're a place of separation. The fine linen worn by the bride of the Lamb, the righteous deeds of the saints, Revelation 19, 8, starting verse 7, we'll back it up a little bit. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint, saints. The Lord is glorified by the righteous acts of the saints. The marriage supper of the Lamb has come. It's not here yet. It's coming. I can sense it. I can smell the food being cooked. I can hear the silverware being laid out and the chairs being placed. But it's not yet. But the bride, the wife, has got to make herself ready. She's got to be bathing and, and rubbing on the anointing oil and using the perfume that is given to her that signifies who she is. And, of course, that incense, that smell comes from the Holy Spirit, comes from him, from the throne room in her. She was made up and she was ready. Fine linen, God's grace, the righteous acts of the saints, the fruit being of the Spirit in us. And this man still wants to come in. He ignores the obligation placed upon him. He ignores the gracious gift of the of the wedding clothes. He accepts the invitation but insults the king. Coming to the wedding banquet unprepared in dirty clothing is insulting. He did not have the righteousness of Messiah provided for him at his, on his death. And the refusal to do so was arrogance in believing that he was good enough without it. 
We have to put on the righteousness of the Lord. We're not good enough without it. Ephesians 4.24, that you may put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, and having put on the new man who was renewed in the knowledge according to the image of God who created him. Nope, not this man. Unprepared and therefore unworthy. Refused, insulted, and he's bound in hand and foot a vivid picture of the inability to participate in the kingdom. Cast out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, driven out demons in your name, done many great works in your name? And he will say to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You act wickedly, disregarding my commands and practicing lawlessness. I'm going to stop right there because there's too much in this coming part to rush over. But think about this. Think about what I'm sharing with you. Pray about it. Don't just sit there and be uh, entertained or moved or whatever. Take this in. Do something with this. Feed on this word. And change your life. Change the life of others. Father, right now, in the name of Yeshua, your son, let your Holy Spirit burst forth from within the people that have it. If they don't, give it to them right now. Bestow it upon them. Let them have the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. Let them be functional in your kingdom. Change them. Heal them. Deliver them. Prepare them. Make them useful. Take them out of religion and bring them into relationship. Wash them clean to the stain of this world. Wash them clean to the stain of traditions and and traditions of men and all the things that have been used by the enemy to stall the remnant. Pray for the remnant to wake up. I pray for your remnant people to wake up. I pray for them to respond and be about their father's business. And Lord, right now, anywhere the enemy has been or is or in in the listeners or anybody they know, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we bring the victory of the cross against them. We bring the power of the resurrected Messiah against them. We bring the fire of the upper room against them. And in your name, for your glory and for your kingdom, we cast them out into the dry inhabited places to await your judgment. But they shall not come back because the place won't be empty. It's going to be filled, filled with your word, filled with your spirit. They're going to be changed. They're going to be different. They're going to be new. We thank you for the provision that's coming. We thank you for the, for, for the prayers that are being answered. We thank you for how much you love us, and we thank you that you've made this personal between us and you. We walk with you, Lord. We, we cling to your side and to the shadow of your wings. We huddle close. We lay our head into the crook of your arm, onto the shoulder, onto your chest like John did. We want that relationship with you. We love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with everything that is within us. And we know you feel the same. So, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Please, if you need to listen to it again, listen to it. Share it. Share this word with others. Let's let's bring more people to the marriage supper. Let's get some more invitations going. He's got he's got as many as you need. He's not going to run out. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grant. This has been The Porch on Firefall. Talk Radio.
Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. Advancements in the medical field are giving nurses faster, more effective results than ever before. They should expect the same from their education, too. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format allows you to set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move faster through your program. So the faster you move, the more money you save. When you're ready, we'll be here. Visit capella.edu for a trial course at no cost to you. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.